0: Well, we're continuing our series called Why We Believe. Last week, we looked at total depravity. Derek spoke for us. This week, we'll be looking at salvation. SFBC's article on salvation says this. We believe that salvation is the gift of God extended to man by grace and received through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose precious blood was shed on the cross to the satisfaction of God's righteousness for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's read our verse that we will be covering tonight again. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us with him and seated us with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them let's pray again father we thank you so much god that you would save us a people who didn't deserve to be saved lord i thank you so much that we have the opportunity to come here every week to hear your word and that you would just continue to display your grace upon us thank you for saving us Lord, I pray if there is anybody here that's not saved, that you would save them tonight. Lord, I pray that you bless our time in your word. Help me to be challenged. Help me to speak your word clearly. And help us, Lord, to just love you more through this. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. When I lived in Davis, the church I attended uh, would go to UC Davis to evangelize pretty much like every, every week. We would typically ask two conversation starter questions. The two questions were, who do you say Jesus is? And the other one, if they were a Christian, we would ask, how are you saved? We received tons of different answers, of course. Someone answered the first question when we asked. They said, oh, yeah, Jesus was a cool dude. He did a lot of cool stuff, you know. That guy was cool. And another person said, Jesus was the first hippie back in the day who smoked a lot of weed, and he would have loved to hang out with him. What was really intriguing to me was the people who claimed to be Christians. Some gave the correct Christian answer. Jesus is the son of God who came to die for our sins and was raised three days later. I remember we asked one guy, like, oh, Who do you say Jesus is? And he gave us that right answer. And so we asked him, well, how how are you saved? And he looked at me. He looked at one of my friends. It was just like, why would you ask that question? I was born saved. And we looked at him was like, okay. And then he says, I've always been a Christian. And we just kind of stared there and just looked like, okay, all right. (laughs) But sadly, this is how a lot of Christians think of salvation. No one is born a Christian. We're fortunate enough to be in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. We understand that no one is born into Christ. But not everyone who claims to be a believer understands this. Not everyone understands how depraved we are like Derek talked about last week. Not everyone understands the love that God has given humanity. I was like this before, before I got saved, before the gospel was presented to me. I believed that I was a Christian because I went to church with my family. Even those of us who go to a good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church can treat salvation like it's nothing. We can treat it like we deserve to be saved. My prayer is that as we go through this text, we will be reminded of how wonderful and how precious God's salvation is to us. Tonight, we will see two aspects of God's saving grace. So we're going to see two aspects of God's saving grace. The first, God's method in saving us, verses 4 through 6. God's method in saving us. The second... God's purpose in saving us. And that's going to be 7 through 10. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers from jail. He wanted to inform the believers of their position in Christ, to love Christ, and to maintain the unity of the church. The first three chapters of this book, there are doctrinal. And the third, the, the last three, are a practice, they're practical. Tonight, we'll be covering more of the doctrine part of the book. We learned from Derek last week how depraved man is. In our text, Paul reminds us of our fallen condition. In verses 1 in, uh, through 3, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers of who they were before Christ saved them. He starts off with, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He reminds them that they have missed the mark of God's perfect standard. They have walked in the way of this world. They were controlled by the world's values ran by the prince of of the air, Satan, who is at work in all the sons of disobedience. Paul reminds them that they were all like this at one time. They were children of wrath like the rest of the world. And we too were like this. Some of us here may still be in this state. The wrath of God was hanging over our heads. We had a death sentence waiting for us. Charles Spurgeon says this this way. You were once no better than the workshop of the devil. He is the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience as a smith works in the forge. When you hear the foul language, when you see the bad actions, these are sparks coming out of the chimney that let you know who is at work within down below. What a dreadful thing it is, a man dead to all that is good, but alive through indwelling of the devil that is within them. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, quote. We were dead to God in our sins. As a result, we were children of wrath. But praise God that Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 4 he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Point one, God's method in saving us. Verse four starts off with two amazing words. But God. These are wonderful words for us to hear. Being dead in our trespasses and sins is not the end of the story. God has all the right to give us his full wrath, but God. God intervenes in a hopeless situation. He didn't leave us to die in our sins. He stepped in and made a way of salvation. Paul describes the character here of God in verse 4a with him being rich in mercy. We see that God is merciful. Not only is he just merciful, but he is rich in his mercy. He has an abundance of it. He will never run out of mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting something you deserve. In this case, God withholds his judgment and wrath from the sinner. But for those who have trusted in Christ, they are spared from that wrath. We can praise God for his mercy. We sin against God. We deserve the punishment stored up for us. But God is rich in his mercy. In high school... I just roll for a period of time with expired registration. And one lucky day, there's a police officer coming down the street, and he pulls me over. And then he comes to the the window, and I roll it down. He's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I was like, no. He was like, you have expired registration. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to go get it done, like, in a couple of weeks. He was like, all right. So he asked me for my license and insurance. I gave it to him. Then he goes back to his car, and I was so afraid. I thought that he was going to give me this really fat ticket and also that he was going to probably tow my car. And he was back there for a long time. And so I'm just really nervous. I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble by my mom and dad. They're going to get me. Um, (laughs) And he comes back, and then he gives me my license, and he gave me my insurance back. And he says, I'm going to give you a pass, but go get your registration. I was super joyful. I was so happy because I didn't want to pay a big fine. I didn't want my car to get towed. And I didn't want to get in trouble by my mom. (laughs) That was the biggest fear, my mom. (laughs) But the police officer gave me mercy. He let me go. He gave me mercy. God gives us mercy. We sinned against him. We deserve the punishment. But God gave us mercy. We should be thankful for the mercy that God Has given us. The mercy that God shows us should make us worship Him. We should be thankful we did not receive His wrath. This should make us start to live in thankfulness for God. Why is God so merciful? Well, the second half of verse 4 tells us because of the great love which He loved us. Paul gives us the reason why God is rich in mercy. God has great love for us. This is the love which God seeks our highest good. Paul includes himself in this love by saying us. Paul understands that even though he is an apostle, he himself is a sinner who needs God's mercy and love. Paul understands that he's a recipient of God's love just like those he is writing to. We should be amazed at God's love. How did God love us? The cross. He loved us through the cross. God sent God the Son to die for us. Though God is merciful, it does not mean that he is not just. God does not just overlook our offenses like the police officer did with me. He let me go. Someone had to pay for it. For all those who repent and trust in Christ, Jesus paid for it. He has paid their penalty. Though we are sinners, God loved us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to die for our sins and raise him from the dead. He loved us by sacrificing his only son for his enemies. And we definitely were his enemies. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And probably the most famous verse in the Bible that mostly everybody knows, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do we understand God's love for us? He sent His perfect Son down to this earth to die the death we should have died. That death is an eternal death. We should have been on our way to hell. We should have experienced the lake of fire. And we've seen all these fires. We've seen pictures on them um, on Facebook. And I uh, had some people at work coming in. It's like oh, it's like an ap- apocalyptic. It's weird. we're in hell. Hell, like these fires don't have anything on hell, the wrath of God. We should have received the wrath of God. But God loved us. Would you ever send a family member, you love to die for your enemy? Someone who really, really hates you. I wouldn't. But God did. He sent his son to die in our place, even though we should have been the ones receiving his wrath. Brothers and sisters, if you ever doubt God's love for you, just go to the cross. His love is shown there. He loves us even when we're dead to him. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses our transgressions. Paul reiterates what he said in verse 1, how we were dead in our sins. This doesn't mean that we were physically dead, but we were spiritually dead. We were dead to God. We had no relationship with God or Christ. Dead people cannot communicate with those who are alive. We had no interest in the things of God. Our spiritual senses were dead, even though we were physically alive. We were spiritually deceased. We were the true walking dead. We were the true spiritual zombies. I worked at a mortuary for one month. (laughs) This was the most depressing month of my life. There were dead bodies everywhere. You go this way, there's a dead body. You go that way, there's a dead body. There's dead bodies on the shelves everywhere. And my job was to transport the bodies in the casket to the cemeteries or to the crematory. But I spent a lot of time in the mortuary with the dead bodies. Don't ask me why I did this job. Sometimes you just got to pay for school and you got to do what you got to do. Working here at the mortuary showed me that dead people are really dead (laughs) and you're like yeah i know that duh but when you're around dead people all the time for eight hours for 30 days that reality sinks in big time it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter you could talk loud in front of them you can talk and have a conversation with them you could shake them you could do whatever they will not respond to you at all. They're dead. And this is a picture of how we were spiritually. This is how it is for anyone still dead in their trespasses and sins. But God had a great love for us even when we were spiritually spiritual dead corpse. Paul then tells us Three actions that show God's method in saving us. The first is he makes us alive with Christ. The second is he raises us with Christ. The third, he seats us with Christ. So one, God makes us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, Paul tells the Ephesian church at the end of verse 5, that God made us alive together with Christ. What does this mean? Well, since we are spiritually dead, there is no way we can make ourselves alive. Dead people can't do that. What this means is God gives us spiritual life. We are alive to him. We are no longer separated from him. By his supernatural power, he has given us a new heart, He has taken away the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Our heart beats for him now. We are awakened to him. We can talk, have fellowship, and worship him. We can now understand spiritual things. We are no longer like the natural man Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of God and he does not understand them at all. It's folly to him. But since we have been made alive, we love and we accept and understand the things of God. Another word we could use for this is regeneration. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. We did not ask to be made alive. God gave us life on his own accord. This regeneration affects every part of us. We are now new creations in Christ. And this is all by God's grace. We know that it's by his grace because in the, in the latter chapter of verse, he says, by grace, you have been saved. Paul gives this explanation at the end of verse 5. Paul understands that it is, by great, it is by the grace of God that we are made alive. We learn more about this later on. What does God do in our salvation? So the second action is that he raises us. And raises us with him. Paul also says that we were raised with Christ. Not only did God give us life, but we have been raised also with Christ. This is not talking about a physical resurrection. We have not been physically raised yet. Christ was physically raised, but we were spiritually raised. When Christ was resurrected, all power was given to him. Believers are united with Christ and will have and experience the same resurrection power in them. This new life gives you the power to fight sin. It gives you the power to look more like Christ. We fight our sin and we look like Christ. We are united to him. This is an amazing truth that sometimes we forget. Do we realize that We are united with Christ, and we are not slaves to sin anymore. This is good news, brothers and sisters. That overpowering sin, you can actually put it to death because you have been raised with Christ. You have resurrection power in you. We can love the person whom we have been holding a grudge against. We can forgive those who have wronged us. We could fight sexual sin, ungodliness, self-righteousness, laziness, pride. Whatever your sin might be, we have been raised with Christ. This is awesome. And it's not over yet. Look at what else happens. Our third action that Paul tells us. We're seated with Christ. Not only are we raised, but we are also seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You may be thinking, what are you talking about? I'm sitting in these comfortable blue chairs right now. I'm not in no heavenly places. Yeah, you're right. You're not physically. But what is Paul talking about? Well, though we are still on earth, we have an inheritance that is already purchased in heaven by Christ. Our future is sealed in heaven. We are are physically on earth, but we are citizens of heaven because of our union with Christ. The victory is won and our seat is secured in Christ in the heavenly realms. This should give us great joy with all the craziness that's going on in the world and and in this life. We can take comfort in that we are seated with Christ. When we die, we can have confidence that we are seated, our seat is in, in heaven secured. We will be with Christ. The method of God saving us is amazing. God makes us alive. He raises us. He seats us with Christ. Why does God do all this? Because he wants to display his wonderful grace in us. And this leads us to our second aspect of God's grace, God's purpose in saving us. Verse 7 says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here we see Paul gives the purpose of why God has saved us. He saves us to demonstrate his wonderful grace. This is amazing. God will show his grace in us for eternity. A lot of the times we think salvation is about us, and it is to a certain degree, but salvation is not primarily about us. It's about God and his glory. God deserves all the glory. We are his trophies for all the coming ages. We will be glorified by our, or God will be glorified by our salvation forever. Paul talks about the coming ages. Here he was referring to the rest of eternity, from your salvation to future glory. The angels will see God's awesome grace shown in us. Paul describes this grace as immeasurable riches, or we could say his abundant riches. God does not run out of grace. There is plenty for all eternity. Who are the recipients of this grace? Us. Why are we recipients? Because of the kindness. God is kind. Those who have been made alive, raised, and seated with Christ, we will benefit from this awesome grace. But it's ultimately about God showing off his grace and and, and his kindness towards us. He is a kind God. The fact that we get to take part of God's display in his grace is just amazing thought. This This is only because we are united with Christ. Our union with Christ gives us this great privilege. That's why Paul says in the next verse, For by grace you have been saved. You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul expands on his explanation in verse 5. He tells us that salvation is all by God's grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor or God showing favor to the unworthy. In other words, you get something that you don't deserve. It's the flip side of the coin of mercy. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. And grace, you get what you don't deserve. In this case, we don't, we don't get hell. And we, and we don't get hell and we don't receive God's wrath. But God makes us alive. He raises us. He seats us. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God still shows us amazing grace. And we receive this salvation through faith. Lots of people use the term faith. Some people say, my faith saved me. Is it really just your faith that saves you? No. It is faith in Christ that saves a person. Faith has an object. That object for salvation is Christ. His person, his work, Faith involves trust in or dependence upon another. In this case, we trust and depend on Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It is Jesus' work on the cross that we are leaning on. Turning from sin and placing your faith fully in the person and the work of Christ saves you. Faith in itself does not save. Everyone has some sort of faith. I have faith when I sat down in the chair after worship that that chair would hold me up. I have faith that my car would start this morning. I have faith that my alarm clock would wake me up at 5 a.m. Monday through Friday, and sometimes I don't even work. (laughs) Everyone has faith. The question is, is, what and who are you putting your faith in? Christ alone is the one who saves through faith. And to make it very clear to the audience, his audience, Paul tells them that this is not of your own doing, it is a gift from God. Paul lets the readers know that salvation is not something that they had any part of, even the faith that they have is a gift. No person's efforts will ever get them saved. We do not work for gifts. We work for wages. Going to church won't save you. Getting baptized won't save you. Helping people on the street or in the church won't save you. Salvation is a gift that must be received through faith. We receive gifts because of the choice of others. Why did he do this? So that no one would boast. Paul is making it very clear that God is the one who has done all the work in salvation. If you ever have to question it, just just read this passage over and over. God does all the work in salvation. The conclusion of salvation should not be for anyone to boast in any human effort in regards to uh, God saving, saving us. It can be tempting to think, well, I place my faith in Christ. Isn't that a work? No. Your faith should be understood as a gift as well. We cannot boast in any human effort. Paul is making that clear. God works in us. This is not to say that works don't matter. That would be the wrong conclusion to have. Paul makes that even clearer in the next verse. Verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul tells the Ephesian believers that they are God's workmanship in Christ to do good works. We are his masterpiece. He continually works on us to look more like Christ. Good works are good works. Good works are on us so that we would work for Him. This is the work the result of being saved. That we will do good works. Only after understanding grace given to us that we can now understand the role that works play in the Christian life. Works are a natural result of God's grace. Paul puts this at the end of the verse to make it very clear that works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. God prepares your work beforehand. Even before we were born, he had already prepared them. There's no boasting here. What are these good works? Well, it's everything that God tells us to do. It's everything that God tells us to do and to how to be. It's everything that he tells us in his word. Here's just some few examples. One good work in particular God wants us to do is put off sin. Whatever sin that's in your life that has God, that, that has you weighed down, And disrupting your fellowship with God. Forsake it. Get someone to hold you accountable for that sin. Let's let not sin run rampantly in our lives. Let's repent of our our sin and turn to Christ. There is much grace for us. Another work that God wants us to do is to love one another. I feel like... Love has been a big theme for our church. We went through the one another's last quarter, and we learned how we could bear with each other's burdens. We, can learn, we learned how to encourage one another. How are we doing in these things? How are we doing in the one another's? Do we make time to spend with each other? Or do we make excuses not to have fellowship with, with our brothers and sisters because we're too busy? Or when we do hang out, is there intentional conversation going on? Are we being encouraging to one another? And I fall short of this. I've not had intentional conversations, and the Lord—these are things that the Lord is showing me as well. I'm being challenged by this just as much as I'm bringing it out. I would challenge all of us. Let's purposely encourage each other in our conversations. Let's genuinely tell each other how God is working in our lives. If you don't see God working in your life, then ask someone to pray for you that God may show you. Tell others of your sin and struggles. Tell others of the victory God has given you. Tell them what you learned in the word this week or last week. Evangelism is another good work. How are we doing with this? Are we out sharing the gospel with our family, friends, coworkers, classmates? Do they even know we are Christians? May we strive To bear fruit of God's grace that He has given us in our salvation. These are, of course, are not all the good works that that God wants us to do, but it's a very small portion that I've been challenged with in my own life. These are things that God is working in me. He's working on, He's working on me through these things. But thank God for His grace He has given us, even when we fall short in these areas. There is a ton of grace. There's more grace and more grace and more grace. So, brothers and sisters, we saw God's method and purpose in saving us tonight. Even when we were sinners, even though we are sinners and forget what what God has done by saving us, he is kind to remind us every single week when we come in this building God is merciful, loving and kind. Brothers and sisters, I hope tonight you saw how awesome our God is. He saves rebels like us, even who even we even though we deserve hell. This should produce thankfulness in us. Thanksgiving is coming up. I would challenge you to share how God has been good in your life with each other, with your families. We should be thankful every day for what God has done. Remember the gospel every day. Our, the thank, the, our thankfulness, we should, it should produce obedience in, to Christ. I fall short in remembering what God has done for me, which is why it's very easy for me to fall into sin. Because when I'm not thinking of Christ and what he's done for me and his word, it's easy to go into sin. May we, by God's power, remember the awesome salvation that he has given to us. Brothers and sisters, if you ever see yourself treating your salvation like it's nothing, or just treating it like you you deserve it, remind yourself of what he's done. Remind yourself what he has saved you from and what he saved you to, and that's Christ. Let's not have an attitude like we deserve God's grace. It was was given as a gift. And if you're here and you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would ask you to do this tonight. Don't wait. There is a death sentence over you. There's a place that you do not want to be going to. It's called hell. It's receiving the wrath of God. It's receiving his anger forever and ever. But thank God, those two words, but God. He has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take our punishment. Jesus rose again from the dead with all power. Jesus is alive. Christ is calling you today. Believe and trust in him tonight. Repent of your sin and believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much just for the grace that you give us, God. We thank you that you have made us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses. Thank you, God, that even though we were enemies of yours, we fought against you, you loved us. You loved us anyway. You sent your son, Christ, to die for our sins and raise raise him from the dead, Lord. I pray that for us Christians that we will continue to remember this, that this might spur us on to live for you, to do good works, to be thankful. Lord, and I pray for those who have not believed that you would give them, show them that you are the only hope in this life. We thank you for tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.